Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I am joined by Jess Walter. He's the author of the new story collection, The Angel of Rome, as well as nine other books, most recently, The Cold Millions. You may have also heard of his number one New York Times bestseller, Beautiful Ruins. In March, Jess went to Italy, hoping for a relaxing vacation, and instead, he has seen more of Italy than some native Italians, I'm guessing, possibly anyway. And today, he's joining us from Rome. Hi, Jess. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me back. So here you are on the final yeah. leg of your huge countrywide Italian tour. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you have just a few more days left. You're ending with the big one, Rome. Where should we even begin? You're in, yeah, let's start guess, with maybe your intention and then what actually happened. Yeah, I guess we begin with me thinking instead of doing what I normally do on vacation, which is dashing through a city in five hours, what if I, we just plunked down in one like hopefully warm southern Italian beach town and we just don't move. We spend the entire month in one place. And instead, I crunched the numbers today. We, in 32 days, we will have visited 27 different Italian towns. We went from Lake Como at the top of the boot all the way down to Sicily and spent more than a week in Sicily. In fact, what you said before, we've had several Italians tell me we we had a driver today who said, you've seen more of Italy than I have. He'd wow. never been as high as Lake Como and he'd never been. Uh, oh, I think he was. I think he did go to Sicily. I think his wife was Sicilian. But and then we, we were having a great conversation with a guy who worked for a winery and I was telling him all the places we'd been. I mentioned that we'd been to Bellagio on on Lake Como, and he said, I've only been to the Bellagio in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> so this Italian hadn't even been there. So yeah, it's been amazing. We've been on eight trains and five ferries and rented two cars. And for not being the vacation I planned, it's just been marvelous. I, it's been an incredible way to see the whole country through the month of March and a little bit of April. Wow. When you see that many places and now you're toward the end of the trip, how is it standing out in your head? Is it all like very vivid? Yeah. Is it are certain places still vivid and some are fading away? Our, our idea was that we would be in a place so long that we get to know the grocer. And, and of course, that didn't happen at all. But it's been a really interesting way to see the whole country because starting in the north, you know, in fact, we actually started in Paris. We flew to Paris, took a train through the Swiss Alps, and then ended up in Verena, which is on Lake Como, and then met my translator in Bellagio and then went to Como. So starting in Lake Como, which reminded me actually of parts of the Rockies and North Idaho and Montana, these deep lakes, you know, backed up against mountains. You're really in a place that was mostly settled in, and built like in this 16, 17, 1800s, and so much more recent. And then to go to all the way south to a place like Sicily, which the Greeks were inhabiting in 800s, 700 BC, was like going back in time. And the further south we went, the, the more ancient it sort of became, the closer we got to ancient Rome and to Greece, to the Phoenicians, to some of these really ancient cultures. And just a couple of days ago, we visited this 
town in Campania called Attica Lacuna, where the medieval city from 1200 surrounding this castle is still sort of the way it always was. I mean, it hasn't been fixed up for tourists at all. Hmm. And so going south was like going back in time a little bit. Let's see, we went from Lake Como to Florence, Florence to the Marche region, where my wife Anne's family originally comes from, and then from Marche um, back to Tuscany, and then from Tuscany to Sorrento, and from Sorrento we popped over to Capri, and so we saw these incredibly touristy places like Capri, which was like you know the Prada store was just getting a total renovation (laughs) and half the town on this beautiful island was felt like it was shut down because it was pre-Easter and the tourists hadn't arrived to places like Serra San Querico where Anne's family is from which you know hadn't seen a tourist in I don't know how long or to this town Atena Lacuna which felt like it had never really had a tourist boom and so it was really great to both venture back in time and also to see the difference between places that really rely on tourism, like Sorrento, for instance, and those places where, you know, you see maybe the way people have lived not changing that much in the last, you know, three, four, five hundred years. I'm curious, how did people in those places that tourists don't really go, how did people react to you? You know, how did you feel in yeah. places like that? You know, the the... So Verena was a much less touristy place than Bellagio, for instance. And if it was tourists, it felt like more Italian tourists. You know, it was a place where people go for the weekend. You know, that felt very familiar. It was like going to Lake Coeur d'Alene in North Idaho or something. You know, it just felt like locals on vacation. And so it's still sort of touristy, but slightly different than those places that are catered toward Americans. So, so many menus have Italian next to the English, next to the German, you know, and not some of those places. It's just the Italian menu. I think really the most authentic place we went was Saracen Querico, this the village where Anne is from. That was really remarkable for both of us. We went to the fountain where her grandparents met and in the town square, it's interesting, instead of obituaries running in the newspaper, they just, in the town square, they put up the death notices. And for her to see the death notice of someone with the same last name as her grandfather in this little town of a few hundred, you know, on a hilltop in the very mountainous Marque region was really wild. And so we walked into a, a little restaurant there and It was clear that the owner, we're guessing it was the owner's son and maybe his daughter, I don't know. But if you arrive when lunch is over, you don't get lunch. And we arrived at 2.45 and they were shutting down at 3 and they just said no, no. And then the mother came out and saw us and said, if we wanted pasta, we could have that. We said, sure. So they made us this heaping plate of pasta. And you know, Anne just said it tasted just like her grandmother's. It was really, that was really cool. And so, uh, and then Anne had a conversation with the proprietor about her family. And so that was just really the most natural thing. Mm-hmm. You know, her grandparents came from there. The owner of this little tabaki trattoria knew the families, both families. That was like, you know, anyone stumbling into the place they're from and chatting them up. 
Uh, probably the worst part of that was, again, it's one of those little hilltop towns and I had rented a car and it was a manual transmission. And we were driving around trying to find the cemetery to see if we could find other relatives. And I just drove down one of those roads, just got narrower and narrower until it just came to a hairpin turn that I couldn't make. And so I was pointed straight down on this tight road and having to put it in reverse and back, you know, somehow up this just <laughs> narrow <laughs> passageway. And I did it, but uh, one of uh, probably the biggest challenge was driving. And that was one of those first challenges. But that, that was amazing being in that place and just the authenticity of meeting Anne's family, you know, people who knew, you know, extended members of Anne's family. The other place that I think really felt like that, Atena Lacuna, so the old town, which stretches across the top of the hill the way they often do, in this place, there weren't even really roads. It was just pathways because it really is medieval. It's like, you know, from the castle dates from like 1200. People have just built their houses inside old medieval caves, essentially. There was this one moment when this woman came out of a doorway, a little like um, hobbit doorway, and um, she kind of startled me and I thought it was a, a crone, you know, like, a, uh, <laughs> except she had tennis shoes in her hands. But I thought uh, I had seen an, an Italian strega who was going to cast a spell on me. You know? um, uh, but the hotel we stayed in, it looked like there was a wedding or something. And so the, the new part of the town has built up way below this old town on top of the hill. The new town down below, I felt like people maybe came up to this old hotel for weddings and special occasions. And we keep forgetting how late people eat dinner. Mm -hmm. um, so we pulled pulled in there at eight o'clock and sat down in this empty restaurant at 830 and thought, oh, this poor restaurant, they don't have any business. And by 930, every table was full, <laughs> like the whole town had come up to this hilltop restaurant, it seemed like to eat. Wow. So have you adapted? I mean, you've been gone for over a month now. So have you adapted to all Italian customs? You're eating now at 830. Now you're eating at 10 now that you're in Rome? Or, or... We, sort of we sort of did adapt to the customs, especially the spritz hour, you know, having a cocktail instead of dinner at that time. But both of us, I think both of us can't wait to get back and eat like we used to. But yeah, we, we've been eating a little bit later you know, trying some foods. I ate tendon, whatever that is, Very some nice. some sort of part of an animal that, that I wished I hadn't. Um, <laughs> at one point we were in Sicily and one of the Sicilian traditional foods is tripe, you know, the sort of parts of the cow that you normally throw away. So she ordered a tripe sandwich and had one bite and said it was just terrible. <laughs> so we weren't able to try all the traditions, but some of the meals have been so memorable. We were at a fish market in Catania in Sicily, you know, to watch them cut a fillet of a swordfish and point to the one you want and watch them throw it on a grill, flip it over, squeeze lemons on it, and douse it in salt and pepper, and then eat it two minutes later. One of the just best meals I think I've ever had for 10 euro, you know, just mm -hmm. a fillet of swordfish cut and cooked right in front of your eyes. You said your original intention was to do something relaxing, but once you're in there and you're you're not relaxing, you're jumping from town to town to town, you're meeting friends, you also met up with lots of different people along the way. We did. Uh, yeah. How are you planning all of it? Are you doing everything at the spur of the moment? Was there ever a moment where you thought, you know, we had this big plan for tomorrow, but let's not do it? Or 
How was that going yeah. for you? You know, that was sort of the trick was planning. And I've realized something about myself on this trip that I love the challenge. It's almost like putting a jigsaw puzzle together. Okay, we're going to be in Kerr, Switzerland, and we need to get to Lake Como. How do we do that? So looking at train schedules and figuring that out, figuring out whether we take a hydrofoil or a ferry, a high-speed boat, or where do we spend the money on trains? And for the most part, it's worked out really well. Every once in a while, I'll leave some detail to the last minute. Today was a good example. I wasn't sure how we were going to get from Sorrento to Napoli Mm -hmm. um, because we needed to take the train from Napoli to Rome. And so I looked online and there's a there is a train, but it's one of those local trains that makes so many stops. You know, Naples is a big, crushing, gritty city. And did we want to be on a train, a local train with our luggage? And so I looked at cabs and then I asked at the hotel desk, I said, how much is a car from Sorrento to Naples? And then the woman said, oh, under 20. And I said, oh, that sounds great, Ben. I'll do it for sure. So signed up for it. And I looked at the bill and she had said 120. Oh. <laughs> I, thought she, <laughs> I thought she said under 20. Oh. <laughs> so so um, no dinner tonight because I spent 120 euro. But so there there have been moments like that where if I had planned it, I I wouldn't have been stuck paying that much money for a one-hour car ride in a Mercedes, though. So it was at least worth that. But so many of the places that I booked ahead of time, I was so excited about. And then they turned out to not be my favorite, weirdly. Mm. And places, so we left Palermo, Sicily a day early. We wanted to sort of see up in the hillside. And we went to a town called Trapani, which is an incredible place to go on the northern coast of Sicily. And one of the things they have there are salt flats. They take these huge areas of flat lands next to the ocean and they cordon them off and let the water dry out until there's only salt left. And then they pile up these big mounds of of salt. It was incredible seeing all this salt. I mean, it looked like a mountain made of salt. It was really incredible. And then above that is an ancient town called Ariche. And don't know that I've ever seen flatlands and a mountain, a flat-topped mountain so close to one another. So you climb the incredible drive to Ariche and you can't believe the vistas you have. You feel like you can just see forever. And the original people who built the mountaintop on Ariche were natives of Sicily who then were taken over by the Phoenicians and the Greeks and later the Normans and just century after century of sort of being taken over. But they were some of the original people there. So just adding trips like that, which we didn't know we were going to take in many ways were the highlights. And we left Palermo early. We had rented a an apartment in Palermo with friends that uh, I don't know what it would actually feel like to live in Palermo, but this was right around the corner from one of the busiest streets, the kind of place where people are fighting outside your window until four in the morning. It was a great place to stay, but we left a day early so we could see some of this stuff on the northern end. And we just picked a town almost by random called Ragusa. And then I looked online and just found a hotel at the last minute for 70 euro or 80 euro room. It was so inexpensive. And it was such a beautiful room on this hill overlooking this valley and stream. And this, uh, again, you know, 
thousand year old town. And I think what I loved about it the most is after sleeping on autopsy slabs, the hardest beds I've ever slept in in Sicily, <laughs> it was the softest bed. I just fell into it. It was like falling into a cloud and just went to sleep. So I think in, in the end, uh, leaving a little bit of room, you know, to, for kind of exploration was one of the best things. Sorrento was another place that we didn't really plan on going, but spending a day in Sorrento just felt, you know, it's very touristy, but it's also just so inviting and walking down the street and hearing live music and just seeing young people everywhere. That was really cool too. Mm. Yeah. So when you were picking these places at random, places you've mm -hmm. never heard of, are you soliciting advice from locals too or are you just looking at the map and thinking i think we could drive four hours today Let yeah. me, how are you guiding those decisions we did solicit help from locals you know if someone would recommend something we would always do it one of the great meals we had was in a town called Tropea, which is in Campania. It's a little beach town. This is the sort of mistake I make. I saw Tropea and thought it was San Tropez, which is like a you know famous resort town. Well, Tropea is a beautiful resort town, but it's not the same. <laughs> but I booked us a place there, another beautiful place on a cliff overlooking an old monastery. And the owner told us about this restaurant that we should go to. And we went there and it was another place, you know, what one of the things you find in some of these less traveled places is you really have to speak Italian. The proprietor of this restaurant knew no English whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you're really stuck speaking Italian. But I had an incredible fish there. I think it was sole. Oh, it was so good. This great piece of fish that he cooked for me there. And so, yeah, we had some great restaurant recommendations like that. Another place that that happened was in Siena. This very nice young woman at the desk who did speak English, in fact, told us she really wanted to go to America. She gave us a restaurant recommendation that was the most local place we ate. You could just tell the way people came in. And then the prices were so low. We were almost embarrassed to get this incredible food. And looked at the wine and said, do you think that's per glass? And I said, I think that's for a bottle. <laughs> sure <laughs> enough, it was like a six euro bottle of wine. You mm. know? And it was so good. It just came in an unmarked bottle, you know, like they just pour it from their wine tap or something. Mm -hmm. So I think taking the recommendations of locals, it, in fact, it happened again today. Our driver was taking us to Naples to the train station. He said, oh, the best pizza in Naples is across from the train station. And so we said, drop us there instead. And so um, we just had an incredible pizza right across from the train station. Those moments when we sort of listened to locals. And then we had friends who'd been to those places. One of the funny things that happened was we happened to plan a Naples trip the same time that White Lotus was filmed there. Mm. And so we ended up staying in some of the places that White Lotus occurred in, mm -hmm. in Sicily. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. in Sicily. Yeah, you know, so we stayed in Termina, you know, which is where 
some of the scenes occurred. And we found ourselves with our friends walking by the Four Seasons, which is where much of it was filmed. And so mm. we said, we have to go in. And so we did the Goonie American thing where we went in and just took selfies in front of the bar and, um, <laughs> you know, and all the all the places that were in that show. You were probably not alone in that. At least uh, no. you won't be once the high tourist season gets going down No, there. the doorman knew exactly why we were there. Mm -hmm. He told us all about it. But they were lovely. You know, they, they seemed just fine with us coming in. And yeah, I think that was another place where you could really tell it was almost tourist season. You had mentioned to me that Rome was incredibly crowded and really we found no crowds. I mean, I still think traveling in Italy in March is the best. We got great weather everywhere, but most places were just weren't that crowded. But the two exceptions, Florence was somewhat crowded and Rome today was, I, this is my fourth time in Rome. I've never seen it packed like this. Was it unpleasant? No, not really. No, it was, the weather was perfect. Um, I've been here in the summer when it's crowded and then you kind of feel, it's like you feel the sweat of a million other people, you mm -hmm. know, um, but it was sort of breezy today and, uh, and we weren't here very long. We, we just arrived in Rome, but uh, I think Trevi Fountain is just always packed. So mm, yeah. You know the Spanish steps were just you know covered with people, and mm -hmm. um, but it was it wasn't bad. I mean, you could still move around. It wasn't terrible. And I, I guess being Easter week, you know, being the week before Easter, um, you sort of expect that. You know, I think it's an early Easter this year, so it feels like mm -hmm. maybe there are more people making that pilgrimage to Rome. Yeah. Well, before I have to let you go. Yes. Since you're a writer, you're an artist type. I mean, I know that you. And many people, when they travel, keep some sort of a journal to record where they've been or what they're doing. But, I mean, do you find for yourself, because of the way you've been moving around, because you've been in these sort of ancient, timeless places mixed into these more modern cities, what have you been thinking about? Do you find that your mind is sort of circling on particular ideas, or is it different every place that you go? Yeah, yeah. I, I do find myself really preoccupied with the question of time. Anne and I always joke because one of the first sentences that she uttered when we were speaking to her Italian relatives was something like, her Italian's better than mine, but it was something like, in America, tutti uh, molto molto nuovo. In Italia, uh, tutte molto molto vecchio. You know, in, in America... Everything is very new. In Italy, it is very old, you know, everything is very old. And I mean, that's the simplest way to put it. But there are times when I'm, I would find myself standing in the Greek ruins of Agrigento, Sicily, looking at these places that were, where the Phoenicians had first landed in 700 BC, pushing the, the Siccone Sicilian people up into the mountains. And then the Greeks came and built these incredible temples to their gods, which the Romans then came and changed to their gods, which the Christians then came and tore down all of them except the ones that they could convert to their gods. And to see us there now with maybe our god capitalism or uh, tourism or whatever it is, to see just sort of the the transition from this thing to that thing to this thing, I I've always find it kind of freeing 
from whatever troubles I'm carrying around to think of the many generations of people who lived and died in these places and whose hopes and dreams and beliefs and faiths and you know they had children you know the the one thing we share with every human being is that we walked this place for a while and then we were gone you know and i suppose you could feel sort of demoralized by that feeling but i always feel kind of enlivened by it um, by the fact that so many people walked these cobblestone steps before me and so you know, I find myself just almost trying to capture that feeling over and over in my journal, you know, whether I'm looking out at a Renaissance plaza or at a medieval castle or at Greek ruins, you know, just marveling at all the people who passed through there before and had so many of the same feelings and emotions I did. And maybe no place more than Rome where all of that crashes together, you know, where, you know, you can walk by Roman ruins filled with cats and a few minutes later be looking at the apartment of a romantic poet over the Spanish steps, you know. And so mm -hmm. to have all of that crash together and to have all that art and beauty and and writing in one place is uh, just never fails to amaze me. Does it have you reflecting on your home? Yeah, I guess it does. You know, the in my writing, I have tended to go away and come back. And so I would have one book set in New York and the next book set in Spokane, where I'm from, and the next book set in the Cinque Terre and in uh, Italy and then the next book back in Spokane and I've realized about myself I love to leave and I love to come home and this has been a great extended leaving you know this is a trip I think Anne and I dreamed about for a long time you know because raising kids and having work keep us in one place we always thought it'd be amazing to go away for a long time and you know, it's almost five weeks is is the longest trip I think I've ever taken. So it's been really terrific. And the great thing is I can still do the thing I promised myself next time and actually stay in one place long enough to get to invite the grocer over for dinner. You know? <laughs> so instead of just uh, having all these conversations with cab drivers as I'm racing from one place to another. Now, some people on their first big, long expedition away is the beginning of the dreaming of staying away. Like you say that you always wanted to come home, but but is that uh, the reality? Or have you started dreaming about the staying away that sometimes happens when you're on such an exploration a journey? We, um, <laughs> my daughter sent a picture of, uh, of our house um, to show the cats, I think. And in the background, I saw this huge pile of mail. And I was like, I, I, there might be a check in there. I got to get home and pay for this trip. I got to see if someone paid me some money for something. But no, I, I feel like this could be a pattern that I would love to repeat, which is to be gone a month or two and then be home and then be gone for a while. I admire people like you who take a couple of years to go live someplace I would I, I may want to do that but I think my wanderlust at this point as reflected by this trip is a little more pointillist and fractured you know I 
I'll say, I want to see Colombia. Oh, you know, it's by Colombia. I wouldn't be that far to fly to Buenos Aires. Oh, and then I would have to go to Peru. I've always wanted to see Peru, you know. So it might be that there are so many places I want to see that um, <laughs> I end up always doing 27 places in 32 days. You know, uh-huh. uh, I, I booked 18 different hotels or Airbnbs for this trip. Wow. One at a time, you know, each one just sort of looking. And that was kind of fun. And it forces you to sort of get to know the place and figure out which neighborhood you want to stay in and, you know, what kind of place you want to be in. The place that I chose here in Rome in Tristevere was, again, I think four days ago, I we picked it, saw a place that looked like a neighborhood we liked that was a little quieter maybe. And this one worked out, you know, not mm-hmm. all of them have. So yeah, I, I could see myself doing this. I don't know about leaving for a long period of time. I, I'll have to see if I'm if I'm up for that. But right now I'm kind of eager to see, to get home, see if my cats are alive, check my mail, some things like that. <laughs> well, I could ask you many more questions, but I we can leave it there. But thank you so much for making the time out of your big Roman adventure, the final chapter of your big story over in Italy, for taking the time to talk to us and tell us about yeah it. thank you kitty it's good good to be on the show again i know it's been a while it's been a while yeah, so <laughs> and your latest book it is a short story collection it's called the angel of rome so it's kind of like coming home celebrate yeah. the paperback is about to come out you know and here you are in rome where your title story is set so it's kind of romantic yeah it is i we keep popping into bookstores everywhere where we are, and we uh, we finally found a Jess Walter book in uh, in an Italian bookstore today in Rome. So that was a good feeling. Very nice, very nice. Yeah. All right, and until next time, this is the Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Talk to you next week. Bye. All right. So far, we're not leaving just yet because I did ask Jess one more question. That's just uh, who I am. I did ask after seeing basically the entire country. Is there a place that you would recommend people do not go from your own experience? I think our least favorite place was Napoli when we first went there, but we ended up going there twice. And today we had the best slice of pizza, which the best pizza, which totally redeemed the place. So I would say the one thing I would, it's not a place, but I would recommend you not drive in Sicily unless you're really prepared for it. Because I, I would almost have nightmares about, trying to park in Sicily and going 30 miles an hour down, you know, what felt like hallways. <laughs> so that was the most stressful thing was driving in Sicily. And Naples, you, Napoli, you have to be, you have to be prepared for it. It's a lot. It's a lot of people and noise and graffiti. It's, it, it's a tough place, but all it takes is one perfect pizza. And then you totally see why the place is what it is it was really it that pizza saved it for us that's great all right well we'll leave it there again and thank you so much thanks jess thank you if you love this show support it for as little as five dollars every month you get to hear two bonus episodes and even say hello during upcoming meetups online that's every month for as little as five dollars Visit thebittersweetlife.net and click support to explore ways to pitch in to keep this show you love on the air.